Just a quick heads up, The Holy Hive Show does contain adult language that may not be suitable for sensitive listeners and children. Welcome, Utahns, to The Holy Hive Show, the greatest goddamn podcast, at least between, you know, third and second south below Main Street above West Temple. Absolutely. That general area. We definitely have the market locked here. Uh, I'm your host, Jordan Delacruz, and here with me as always is Dan Lawler. Dan, how's it going? You know, I'm doing pretty well. I, uh, I'm living healthier than ever. I'm 100, day, 100 days free of nicotine, which is very, nice. very nice uh, for me personally. Hell yeah. Um, I'm kind of just the w- walking example of health. I got a flu shot yesterday. Yeah, I'm a hundred days free of nicotine today, and uh, I voted. So you know, I'm just responsible. Just killing it as an adult. I really am. Right on. Well, today on the show, we're going to uh, do some news, followed by a breakdown of state offices on the uh, ballot that everyone's filling out this week. What they do, uh, how much they get paid, and uh, then we'll wrap up with a conversation about media and the role it plays in our lives currently. But first off, we're going to do some follow up from last week. Uh, if you tuned into the show last week, you heard our 2020 restaurant draft where Dan and I completed uh, or uh, competed to create the best list of five local eateries in Utah. Um, and we saw some amazing feedback. We ended up putting up the draft list on Instagram and Twitter, and uh, a bunch of you guys filled it out, and the feedback was, was really awesome. Uh, so how did our competition play out, Dan? In terms of the uh, Dan Jordan end of the competition, I uh, definitely came out on top with uh, 24 total votes to your 18, although that really should be 17 since uh, Jordan actually voted for his own ballot on the the Holy Hive account. In the Holy Hive account, yeah. Yeah. So there was was a, a little... uh, what do you call that? Voter fraud? <laughs> yeah, there was some real voter fraud there. This is what they're railing against. Yeah, in going, on today. In the, going on in the restaurant draft. I'm, I'm guilty. Uh, but we, we got a lot of great feedback from people and uh, a lot of cool shout outs from local eateries and stuff who were kind of uh, sharing our posts and participating and stuff like that. So shout out to a lot of those guys. Yeah, it was really, really nice to hear from from some of those food trucks that were selected. And, you know, definitely always nice to hear from Slackwater, who who I'm, I'm familiar with a few of the people that work there. I don't mm-hmm. know if it is, but I believe my friend Jake is maybe the one that runs that, that Instagram we'll account. It, I have no idea. Yeah, for sure. But shout, shout out to Jake. Shout out to Jake <laughs> always and forever. Um, yeah, so thanks a lot for everyone who participated in the uh, restaurant draft. We're, we're definitely going to have different kinds of drafts, and I attribute my loss to draft tactics this time around, so we'll definitely have to get better at drafting. <laughs> That's fair. You just got to, uh, what's it called, where you, you freeze the envelope, you know? Freeze the envelope. You is just got to figure out a tactic to get that, that pick you want. Okay. You know? Okay. Um, so thanks to everyone who participated in that. Now, Dan, it's time once again to take a look at the next chapter of the saga that is the COVID pandemic and what's happening in Utah. Corona. With my Corona. Corona. With my Corona. <laughs> okay, Dan, what's going on in Utah? Bless you. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we actually have some new regulations. We're a little bit late bringing these to you guys because they came out shortly after uh, the podcast aired last week, which, you know, I'm going to go ahead and give us credit for that. We've been on Governor Herbert for a while now, and they finally stepped up and brought in some new re- new regulations. So, uh, you know, they've done away with that silly color-coded system that you and I have kind of harped on, and they've brought in kind of one that is mm-hmm. based more on transmission risk, and it ranks counties between high, moderate, and low. 
But uh, since Utah's kind of struggling across the board, I figure I'll just give it to you in the more more realistic term of fine, bad, and super bad. Uh-huh. So, so the low category is if you have a seven-day average percent positive less than 5.9%, uh, and you have a 14-day average case rate uh, per 100,000 people of 100 per 100,000, mm-hmm. the bad is a seven-day average percent positive of 6 to 12.9% and a 14-day average case rate of 100,000 for 101 to 324 people mm-hmm. among the 100,000. Okay. And then the super bad is just that uh, seven-day average percent positive over 3.9, excuse me, and a uh, 14-day average case rate per 100,000 of 325 people per 100,000. And with these color codes comes new kind of mask requirements. They're not... Uh-huh. They're still really, really afraid of that word mandate, and I believe they're yeah. leaving it up now to the uh, health departments of each county, which is what these uh, color codes are based on. And uh, so, you know, it sounds like we're we're moving in some interesting directions as far as as far as requirements for masks, and hopefully things are under control. I haven't dug in really to just the actual numbers because. Mm-hmm. You know that gets kind of Groundhog Day ish when yeah, when, yeah. when we do that. But I will say that they seem to kind of be plateauing a bit. You know, there's some okay. rises and drops here and there. But it does seem we're kind of seem as if we're kind of plateauing. So hopefully we'll be we'll be coming down pretty soon here. But that may just be wishful thinking. So I mean, it could be. And this next story, the first story that we jump into with news, kind of shows you know what happens when you're not properly governed so let's just segue right into that so uh this actually came out of the new york times so utah's making national news again let's do it never Um, for good reasons never for good reasons um corner canyon high school located in the affluent neighborhoods of draper made national news this week as the new york times covered their disastrous handling of the school year Three weeks into the school year, corner canyon high school saw a rise in cases and as the school board started to address the outbreak Parents of students pressured other parents and eventually the school board to remain open. The board listened and uh, to listen to parents, not health experts, and remained open. Within a week, the school saw cases quadruple, taking cases up to 90, which uh, is said to be an underestimate as not all faculty and students got tested. Some mothers even encouraged each other to hide the fact that their children were ill, according to Mayor Troy Walker. Many parents argue that the risk of mental health issues outweighs the risk presented by the virus. The school opened again yesterday after closing and reducing cases back down to around 10. Yeah. So there's so there's I that was a very very small abbreviation of the entire article. They like yeah. go really deep. That's kind of just the bullet points. So I really uh, highly recommend you check out uh, that article which is uh, they've posted at the Salt Lake Tribune. You can find mm-hmm. it on their website too. Um, but this is like one of those glaring problems <laughs> that yeah. we're seeing like the failure of local government to like essentially set the guidelines for like how we're supposed to react to this type of thing. Because I think one of the things that they were, the, the, the school board, the people that they were interviewing in this article said was that like, we had no idea how to handle this. <laughs> and that's like when something goes horrible with this virus, that's what, what they kind of lean on is they're like, well, this is unprecedented. We didn't know what to do. And it's like, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, at this point, you should, though, yeah. you know, put, put, put some heads together. And it yeah. is kind of a bummer, you know, Draper, 
Salt Lake County, you know, we've been yeah. railing against Utah County and it may be a, an honorary member of Utah County Draper South enough that it almost seems that way sometimes, but yeah, right. Yeah. But, but it is, you know, it is a big bummer. And I think this is what happens when, you know, Shaylee needs to have some time away from her kids to work on her MLM, you know? Yeah. Like the <laughs> listening to the parents instead of the, the health experts is just hilarious to me. Yeah. Like, Wait, the people who don't want the kids around because, you know, for various reasons. I'm not saying every parent's just like, get my kids out of here. Mm -hmm. I need some alone time. But it is worrying. I think, yeah, I think when when parents are saying this quarantine is more detrimental to their mental health than the viruses to their physical health, I think what they're really talking about is their own mental health, which is they're sick of, like, hanging out inside with their kids all day. They don't want to, uh, you know, care for and engage with their children. Yeah. <laughs> they want, you know, maybe day drink or, yeah, work on the MLM. <laughs> um, and every time I, like, again, with the people that were kind of protesting this were like, you know, make Draper free again. Yeah. And it's like... I think I think anytime that someone uses the word freedom in relation to something like this, I'm like, okay, you're just kind of lazy. I think because mm -hmm. like we all have to adapt, and people don't want to yeah. adapt; they just want to go back to their normal routine. Well, what's funny is, I mean, and we've probably said this nine thousand times on this podcast on twelve the, episodes of podcasting. But the way <laughs> to get back to normalcy is to like follow guidelines so that yeah. things can, so that our transmission rates can go down, and so that we can return to these, you know lifestyles that we would like to return to. It's just hilarious that mm -hmm. eight months into this pandemic, we're making stupider decisions than we did in the first week, yeah. you know? And like a, it's like a sick child staring out the window at a park across the street. We're looking at other countries opening up their exactly. societies and everything like that because they just hunkered down and um, took care of business. And so, um, I mean, at Corner Canyon's back open. Hopefully, they ha if the cases start to go back up, they handle things properly. But... Um, yeah, man, these moms are dangerous. These moms I mean, be business. dangerous. I wonder, I wonder if uh, any of these moms are going to be making an appearance on the uh, Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. I certainly hope so. Seems like this type, you know, in the uh, the, the uh, essential oil drenched hills of Draper. This next story comes out of Holiday. In a quaint little Salt Lake City suburb, one man has been hoarding a dark secret inside his home. 20 Burmese pythons were found in the home of a 64-year-old man after he sold a baby python to an undercover police officer. The officer checked with animal control and verified that the man did not have the proper permits to sell or even own pythons, which are classified as an exotic animal. The man's house, uh, in the man's house, the police found uh, 20 Burmese pythons, 10 of which were over 10 feet long, along with $2,000 in cash, marijuana, and containers full of opiates. His charges include 10 counts of possession of an exotic animal, 10 counts of possession of a dangerous animal without a permit, two counts of possession of a controlled substance with intent to distribute, and one count of a firearm possession by a restricted person. This guy's living. He's living it up. He's like a walking <laughs> Spencer's gifts. <laughs> yeah, well, how much blacklight do you think was in that house? So much blacklight. <laughs> all the, and they was, were all on. The, yeah, they were all on. All the, the, the windows were foiled up. <laughs> um, what I When I read this, I was wondering, did the undercover cop go to buy weed from this guy? And he's like, we're doing a little undercover sting. We think this guy's dealing with weed to the local kids around here. Um, and then he goes up and he's like, hey, man, I sold you the weed. You want me to you want to buy something else? And then he just pulls out a python. <laughs> uh, that would be amazing. I would almost prefer if like they were just totally wrong on the weed and he went up and was like, hey, 
you got something for me? And the yeah. guy's like, yeah, here's a python. Yeah. Like, just no weed at all. He's not even selling. He's just selling pythons. Unless there's, like, a whole division of the Salt Lake City Police Department that's running these exotic animal sting operations. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how big of a problem that is in Salt Lake. It sounds like an animal planet issue. Oh, man. Uh, and the other thing that I was thinking about was... Uh, I wonder if the opiates were for the snakes <laughs> because they were like the unmarked like plastic containers. And so it's like, it seems like the only way that you'd be able to live with 20 pythons is if they were heavily sedated. sedated. Yeah. Especially Just wrap it up in some mouse yeah. and, and give it to it. Like when you have a wrap up a pill and give it to a dog. <laughs> yeah. It's a double whammy. You feed the opiate to the mouse and then the mouse passes out. There you go. And then the snake eats the mouse and then he yeah. eats that. That's like a, it's like a, a stuffed pepper. Yeah, but it's a mouse. <laughs> or like when you put a pill in a piece of cheese and give it to your dog. Exactly. <laughs> but for real though, those snakes are terrifying. I saw some pictures. Dude, yeah. No, no way. joke. No yeah. way. And I also, when I was researching this, because uh, I was like trying to imagine what a house with 20 pythons looks like. Uh, again, probably a lot of black light, but the smell. Yeah. I'm like, do snakes smell? And I found out there's this thing that snakes do called musking. That sounds attractive. Yeah. It's where it's where snakes like sec- I, I guess like half of it is like them secreting this fluid or shitting and mm-hmm. it's basically to st- like stink up the area and drive away like enemies and stuff like that. It, were, it would work on me. Yeah. <laughs> I hate snakes of any size. Yeah. So these snakes specifically, yeah. it's not that I hate them. Like I have no malice towards them. I just, just don't want anything to do with them. <laughs> I'm terrified of them. Yeah. So that's fair. Um, so this guy, true American. Let's go. We it, yeah, it's, it seems like he belongs in Florida, but we're lucky to have him here in hey, Utah. <laughs> give me your tired, your hungry, and your pythons. <laughs> God damn it! This week, the Utah Department of Transportation released some interesting findings on how the pandemic has shaped Utah. What they found is that more Utahns are riding bikes. UDOT reports that biking on trails is up between 150 and 300 percent, depending on the trail. And that the number of residents using the fitness tracking internet service Strava is up 52%. I love Strava. Have you used Strava? Yeah, I use Strava. I don't even know what it is. I've never even... You can use Strava for... It's not even just bikes. You can use it for runs. You can use it mm. for for biking, for swimming, for any number mm. of things. Yeah, I, I've used it on my bike rides for, for a while. That's pretty cool. Um, Many citizens have been turning to biking as a means of transportation to work, to pick up food, or as, in a way, as a way to get outside more often. In a news release from last week, UDOT said that the rise, uh, quote, the rise in active transportation is not only having a positive effect on traffic congestion, but on the physical well-being of community members. You own a bike, Dan. I do own a bike. Have you been riding a lot more? I have been riding a lot more, but mostly because I had been riding absolutely zero for like the year and a half (laughs) before then. It's all gains from here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) there's nowhere to go but up. But yeah, I mean, it has been fun to get outside. I will say I really hit my stride with uh, the bike riding like a few weeks before like the really big forest fire started. And so I really haven't been riding as much lately because the air has not been as good. I mean, the air is good now, so maybe I can get back to it and stop making excuses. Especially like as a sidebar, this last week outside has been awesome. Yeah. It really, really has been. Um, So like, I, yeah, I, I, I'm really happy that this is all happening and maybe if I, maybe I I would be interested in doing some trail biking, but Mm -hmm. like, I'm like terrified of commuting on a bike Mm -hmm. and I've thought about it and I like want to be that kind of person. Like I like the, I romanticize the idea of being a guy that bikes to work, you know, but I also drive a lot and I see 
what Utah drivers do on a day-to-day basis. And it just freaks me out so bad to be on the road with drivers in a bike. I totally get it. I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure I, I share in that fear. My mm-hmm. fear, as we s- spoke about a second ago, is more snake-based. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, there is some real erratic uh, driving going on downtown. There have been times where I've swerved or I kicked a car once because it was oh, just very, really? very close to me. Yeah, it was Damn. just a reflex, just, ah. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, just, like, push off. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, I know that, like, uh, a trend that's kind of blowing up right now are electric bikes. Okay. So they're basically, like, normal, you know, pedal bikes. Like, you still pedal them, but mm-hmm. it's, like, assisted. Yeah. So, like, you can it's just It's like an pe- escalator? Yeah, it's like an escalator for stairs, exactly. <laughs> you kind of just pedal, but you can, like... Even if you're going up a hill or not, you pedal the same pace and it'll just get you there, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I was like, maybe I could get an electric bike. That sounds like, that sounds like fun. I don't know. I, cause I don't want to do it for fitness. I just want to explore. Mm-hmm. And that's what I like about biking. Yeah. kind of just going. Yeah. Exploring neighborhoods and stuff like that. seems like a good time, but I'm wondering, it does like the, I, I mean, I don't know how much into the bike community you are, but do they look down <laughs> on electric bikes? <laughs> I'm not very much into the bike community. <laughs> I do own a pair of bike shorts though. Oh, right so on. they got like the, they got like the cushion, uh, on, like underneath the butt, the the taint, the taint area, yeah. yeah, so that you don't get too sore. Hell yeah! But all I'd say is like, no. I mean, they might look down on you, yeah, yeah, but you shouldn't care. I yeah. mean, these are people who are wearing spandex just to ride around Liberty Park. You yeah. know, yeah, they take themselves a bit too seriously. I'll, so I'll race someone with my electric bike. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't fool. care if it cuts down on wind resistance, man. It's just, it's Liberty Park. You don't need to wear the spandex. Yeah, so. <laughs> some people go hardcore with it. Yeah, that's true, that's true. A hiker who had been missing in Zion Park uh, for 12 days was found safe this week. California hiker Holly Cortier was dropped off by a shuttle in the Grotto Park area. And only a short way into her hike, she hit her head on a tree and became disoriented. Holly's daughter, Kaylee, told CNN that she was too weak and disoriented to walk out on her own, but was luckily near the Virgin River and stayed close to the water source. Zion Park Rangers received a tip from a hiker that the, uh, that a woman had been seen uh, in the park, and they were able to locate her in the thickly vegetated, vegetated area near the Virgin River. Holly's sister added that she had lost a lot of weight and had bruises all over her body, and uh, she remains in the hospital as she regains her strength. So that's a happy story. That is a happy story. I was glad to see that she... She was found because I was kind of following it on Twitter and mm-hmm. and and thereabouts. And so it was nice to see on, I believe yeah. this broke on Sunday that, that she was yeah. found. So that yeah. was good. And it, like living in Utah, like if you think about it, even just like since, you know, high school, there's been so many stories of like this yeah. happening. Like it's, it's, it's actually kind of common like around here that people go missing or um, people get lost in, in the mountains. So that's, and rarely do they end up being this positive. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, we're really glad that, that they were able to find her. Um, also, uh, <laughs> they're, they're, uh, the, the story, the way it broke was kind of odd. It was. Yeah, because. because what, yeah. Well, after I read the story, I just kind of dove into the comments as I want to do. Mm-hmm. And pretty much everyone in the comments was, was like, this does not add up at all. Because yeah. they're saying that she couldn't walk or call out or anything but then mm-hmm. the park services said that she walked out on her own yeah yeah so like it's all very strange and i don't i'm not sure what what is to come of that sort mm-hmm. of <laughs> yeah conspiracy theory thinking but but uh yeah it's interesting 
Yeah, I, when I first saw it, like the story broke and it was like like two paragraphs and it was like, this person has been missing since this time. They found her today because uh, someone tipped off a ranger and the ranger went and found her and she's now with her family again. And everyone was like, wait, that's it? Like no one t- said what happened. And then they started to elaborate more on what was happening. And uh, honestly, just naturally, I kind of had a similar reaction. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, this whole thing seems kind of weird and fishy. Like she sustained a head injury, but in the hospital, she's kind of being treated for malnourishment and dehydration. So it wasn't like a serious head injury, mm-hmm. like a life-threatening head injury. Um, also, the area that she was found in is really close to the road and yeah. other like hiking spots. And I don't if you I don't know how it is now, and I haven't been to Zion in a minute. But the last time I was there, and when I used to go there more often, it's pretty crowded. Yeah, like, there's a lo- like a lot. Well, of especially people. this year, national parks are 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 way mm-hmm. filled up. Yeah. So I yeah I, the whole thing. I mean, I'm not one to be like, oh, we got to crack this open. We're yeah. gonna dive deep yeah. on <laughs> this this hiker. Um, but uh, it is it, interesting. Yeah, it's an odd sounding story, but she does have a fifteen thousand dollar GoFundMe in the works. Wow. There you go. <laughs> So get that, get that money. The Hogle Zoo is home to a wide variety of animals, from lions to meerkats. But this last weekend, the zoo was invaded by a new vicious species, the Sigma Chi fraternity. Yeah. <laughs> over the weekend, the University of Utah frat brought over bought over 150 tickets to the uh, Hogle Zoo's annual Boo Lights event, where they raged like it was a Diplo set at Coachella. <laughs> The youngest guests, uh, the young guests, got uh, intoxicated, threw cans and bottles around the park, broke fencing, and even pulled a knife on a carousel operator. Yeah, <laughs> promoting the park to, or prompting the park to uh, close an hour early. They also destroyed decorations, including real pumpkins carved by the zoo's staff. Both the University of Utah and the uh, spokespeople for the fraternity have voiced their disappointment and added that they're looking for those responsible. <laughs> Who did this? Yeah. <laughs> it's like the Eric Andre meme. Yeah. It's like a Sigma Chi frat. They're like, who Who would do this? <laughs> I can't believe it. It's yeah. just that. It's the, uh, I think you should leave hot dog suit. Like, yeah. Yeah. Who did it? Come out and confess. We promise we won't be mad. <laughs> Yeah, it's that. Yeah, it's that same thing. I would I would argue that maybe the person that posted on their Facebook was involved. Yeah, <laughs> in some way. Totally. When I read this, I just couldn't stop thinking about the uh, the old droogs from from A Clockwork Orange. You know. Yeah. Right. Like they're just beating people up, trashing everything. Yeah. I mean, they don't do the sexual assault. No, at, at the Hogle Zoo, so that's great, I guess. But like but, the pocket knives and everything, yeah. like it was so, it's so ridiculous that you would behave this way in, go, a, in going, a zoo. Yeah. <laughs> going down to the zoo for a bit of the old ultra violence. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I, I was thinking about, you know, how odd that the stage for this like crazy frat party was the zoo. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it would be at least a little semi-redeemable if they had gotten intoxicated and just, like, tried to release all the animals. Yeah. <laughs> like, they had this vulnerable moment of passion, and they're like, we're going to free all the animals. They started opening cages and stuff like that. Um, but, no, they just destroyed the place. <laughs> yeah. Just nothing but destructive behavior. Yeah, and insane. it sounds like they had some dates with them and stuff. So it just sounds, I don't know, man. It's all bad. Yeah. And, 
Go ahead. The I saw that the Hogle Zoo ended up taking down their post on Facebook because I guess Sigma Chi got like death threats. <laughs> and oh, really? <laughs> it's like how how is this the world that we live in, where like a reaction to something terrible is somehow worse than the terrible thing that happened? Like why why mm-hmm. why take the spotlight away from these dickheads? Yeah, and, and make it like, hey, we all need to behave mm-hmm. in the way. That just gives people an opening to get away with more bullshit. I hate yeah. it. Someone, uh, there was one man who received a death threat the night of, and it was the carousel operator. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah, a pocket knife. Um, and you know, I like, I I actually like going to the zoo and getting a stiff buzz going during those like beer parties that they have. Yeah, They're actually pretty fun. Um, but if you can't handle your booze, maybe you should just stay on campus. Truly, so I don't know if it was like. If, if they were just, like, inherently shitty people or if they were just way drunk. Yeah. But either way, you shouldn't be getting way drunk if you just, like, have a need to threaten a carousel operator with a bomb. Yeah, knife. and I mean, like, it's booze can't make you do, can't make yeah. you act that much out of character. It's not PCP. Yeah. <laughs> so. But who knows, you know, maybe some of True. those kids probably, you know, I don't want to throw out false uh, information, but <laughs> I guess if PCP makes you violent. We could We could assume that some of those kids were on PCP. Bath salts. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's move to our first feature. So the election is is uh, is hot right now. Yeah. People are filling out ballots. Dropping them off. Dropping them off. We got two weeks left. Actually, two weeks to the day. Yeah. As as we record this, it'll come out on Wednesday. But November third is the last day for you to turn in your ballot. Dan, you've already got yours in. I did on I, my way here. I, I feel bad. I haven't I haven't filled it out yet. But I was I, actually using it to kind of prep this episode, so I didn't want to get rid of it too quickly. I hear you. I will go out and fill it out as soon as this is over and turn it in. Um, and there's it seems like most of the political conversation going on right now is about the federal election. Mm-hmm. I wanted to focus on the state election yeah. because it seems like not a lot of people talk about that. And I thought it would be kind of interesting to look at these different elected positions that we're going to be voting on, talk about what they do, what they're responsible for, and even how much they get paid. Yeah. And Dan, you did some research on these candidates. I did a little bit. So what we're going to do here is I'm going to go through each position and kind of break down what the position is. Let's do it. And uh, Dan's going to provide a little color commentary based on his own research of each candidate. Mm -hmm. All right. So we're going to start with the state attorney general. So all of this, all of my information was pulled from Ballotpedia. So if there's something, you you know, I'm missing or something, take it up with them. Yeah. But according to Ballot, Ballotpedia, the state general, uh, sorry, the attorney general of the state of Utah is a publicly elected executive position within the Utah state government. The attorney general is the chief law enforcement legal officer and lawyer for Utah. The attorney general also serves as a member of the state boards of prison commissioners, insane asylum commissioners, and reform school commissioners alongside a selection of other state executive officials, including the governor, auditor, and superintendent of education. Some of their duties include uh, to prosecute or defend all causes in which the state or state agency is a party, prosecute corporations which act illegally, administer the state children's justice center program, assist district or county attorneys when required by public service or by the governor, among others. To qualify for this position, you have to be 25 years of age. Check. Admitted uh, to practice in the uh, Supreme Court of Utah? Nope, never nope. mind. And to be in good, and standing w- in good standing with the bar? Depends on the bar. <laughs> um, there are no current term limits, 
and the salary for this position is $104,000 per year. That's pretty decent. Right on. That is pretty decent. So who are the people running for attorney, attorney general in Utah right now? So for starters, we have the incumbent, who is uh, Sean Reyes. Mm-hmm. Um, he is currently attempting to, as of today, I believe the news broke, uh, he is currently attempting to take on a little mom-and-pop shop known as Google for, uh, I guess, censoring GOP content on the internet. I've seen Mike Lee kind of up in arms about this as well. Yes. Um, that seems promising, what with all Google's uh, legal power. I'm yeah. sure that that seems like a good use of uh, state funds. Yeah. Um, another candidate is Rudy Bautista. Rudy Bautista is interesting because they failed to provide a Utah voter search with the profile. That's where I was getting all my information mm. on these candidates. It's yeah. a utah.gov service. Uh-huh. So this isn't like just some random Wikipedia type thing. Um, and... Yeah, they just didn't even provide a profile. Like, that's an amazing lack of effort on Rudy Bautista's part. Yeah, like, um, <laughs> just kind of phoning it in on the campaign I trail. don't even know if Rudy Bautista is a man or a woman. I'm not sure. That's a good I didn't, point. I didn't, I mean, if they didn't provide with a profile to the service that I was looking through, I'm not going to put forth more effort into looking into you. Or if they have any relation to wrestler, actor Dave Bautista. That would be amazing. Because if that was true, they that's a lock for the campaign yeah, right there, man. If I think ha- so, too. If you have him come out and give a speech. Drax the Destroyer Hell and yeah. Rudy the, the Ruler. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and then finally, the third and final candidate is Greg Scordis. Um, his main point in running seems to be kind of wanting to protect healthcare and national parks from oil and gas opportunists, which is something I respect. Mm-hmm. Uh, he seems to have a really big bone to pick with our current attorney general, Sean Reyes. Yeah. Uh, I guess there were three separate instances where the public voted for something that Sean Reyes uh, refused to uphold. Mm-hmm. Um, so all that said, Greg Scordis kind of just looks like my ex-girlfriend's dad and he did not approve <laughs> of me. So like every time I look at him, I'm just like, Oh yeah. Sorry, I'm sorry, sir. <laughs> so that's kind of get, getting in, in, in the way of like fully supporting him. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, and, and honestly, it's more of a me problem than a him, pro- him problem. For this sure. This is my girl from when I was 16 years old. Yeah. <laughs> so like it's been quite some time. Yeah, it's time to get but, over it. <laughs> but those are our three, those are our three candidates for uh, attorney general. And so Sean Reyes is running on the Republican side. Greg Scordas, is he the Democratic? Yes. Uh, and then Rudy right? Bautista is either, um, either... I've seen a lot of constitution like affiliated. Yeah. I believe that Rudy Bautista was a libertarian. Okay. And just a fun fact really quick before we move on from um, attorney general, the plural of attorney general is actually attorneys general. It's not attorney generals. This is something that you <laughs> would learn if you uh, watched the West wing, everybody. So <laughs> that's what you got. That's what I got. They make a joke about it. No, they just let they, you know. They always say attorneys someone, general. Someone calls, someone says, give me the attorney generals. And then someone says, it's actually attorneys general. Huh. All right, let's move on to state treasurer. The treasurer of Utah is an elected executive position in the Utah state government. The treasurer is the state's chief financial officer. So it's like the CFO of Utah. Responsible for the management of taxpayer dollars as the custodian of public money and, and the central bank for state agencies. The treasurer oversees the collection, safeguarding, investment, and disbursement of state funds. Their duties include uh, receive and maintain custody of all state funds, account for all monies received and dispersed, uh, keep the books open at all times for the inspection by the uh, governor, state auditor, or any member of the legislature, or any committee appointed to examine them by either the House of the Legislature, uh, and they authenticate and validate documents when necessary. 
So the qualifications to be the state treasurer of Utah, according to Article 7, Section 3 of the Utah Constitution, to be eligible eligible for the office of uh, state auditor or state treasurer, a person shall be 25 years of age or older at the time of election. No person is eligible to any of uh, the offices provided for Section 1 unless the time of election, at the time of election, that person is a qualified voter and has been a resident uh, of the state of Utah for five years. So you have to actually live here for five years to be the state treasurer. It's there really interesting. Um, actually, I think that might be something for, I think when it says Section 1, it's all these positions that we're talking about. So you actually have to live in. In, in Utah for five years, uh, no no uh, current term limits, and the salary for the state treasurer is one hundred and four thousand dollars per year. They're bringing in that that bacon, yeah, bringing in like, and you only have to be like, when I when I look at a a, a application for a job as like in uh, ground floor creative designer at you know some marketing firm. There's like, you need five years of experience. You need to go through this type of schooling. Dude, you just have to be 25 years old and have been living here for five of those 25 years. <laughs> I'm ready to rock then. $104,000. I could be a great treasurer. <laughs> so who's running for state treasurer in Utah? So uh, the three the three people that I found here, and let me just make sure really quick that I, there are actually three people. I'm not leaving anybody out. Yeah, there's so, so there's three three candidates here. And if you do actually want to look into these people yourself, you just go to votesearch.utah.gov mm-hmm. and you can uh, find all the people on your ballot there. Um, so as you were just saying, you laid out kind of the guidelines for what makes a treasurer. It's basically yeah. like a big banker of Utah. Mm-hmm. Um, so our first candidate has a very interesting profile um, with how he chose to sell himself. And that is Richard Proctor. Mm-hmm. He is a member of the Constitution Party. Um, in the very limited space that he was allowed to sell himself, he chose to include a, that he thinks abortion is America's (laughs) national Holocaust (laughs) B that he thinks marriage is between a man and a woman and C he thinks the declaration of independence, the constitution and the bill of rights are the greatest documents of freedom ever produced by man, which I believe is a direct quote from national treasure. (laughs) <laughs> is that what he um, thinks this is? is he- I have no idea what, like, why that is his, like, sales pitch for why he should be, like, in charge of, like, money. I don't get it. That'd be hilarious if he was just obsessed with national treasure and he's that like, would, I don't he's really like, honey, I'm going to run for the national treasurer of, of the state of Utah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wow. Um, what a... He, you know, he knows how to touch to those hot button issues. He really does. And he's like, I'm going to bring these abortion issues to our state budget. Yeah. <laughs> he is every attack ad right now. But oh uh, second, we have David Damschen, I believe is how you pronounce that name. He is a mm-hmm. member of the Republican Party. Um, he is also the incumbent uh, treasurer of our state currently. Um, his profile looks kind of how I would expect the first profile to look, which is kind of just like dry and boring and yeah, banky. Yeah. Uh, among his chief, uh, chief among his achievements are um, he brought the financial literacy courses to Utah schools, which is something that now mm. as an adult, I wish I had. I'm sure yeah. if I was in high school, I'd be pissed mm. if I had to take a financial literacy course. But I'm quite jealous of all of the people who get to take them now. For sure. Um, so that's great. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's a that's a wonderful thing. And then finally, we have someone named Joseph Especial. No, Joseph Special. Special. I guess. I don't know. I could be mispronouncing every single person's that name That looks like here. Special. Um, and he, he, he's another one of the people that caught my mm-hmm. eye when I was looking through this because I went to his website. 
And I was surprised to find that most of it was populated with dummy copy. Like the Latin. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so for those of you who aren't really familiar, um, dummy copy or lorem ipsum or whatever you want to call it is what designers and developers use so that they can kind of map out what a website or a design is going to look like with copy in place. Yeah. And so, you know, I just couldn't stop laughing when Joseph's uh, about me section was lorem ipsum dolor situm et consecutor ad sipping elit sed do... <laughs> yeah. Tempor in dun dun dun, you know. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it should be noted that his website now is completely different. I don't know if that is even that website that I was on last week is even available anymore. Yeah, uh, I could not find it this morning when I was searching for it. So, oh dang, he might have gotten a couple of emails, but maybe a little discouraged. <laughs> but yeah, those are the three. Those are the three for state treasurer. So, uh, pick who you want. I guess. <laughs> yeah, for real. Just I mean, don't pick the abortion guy. Yeah, that guy's not here to like keep make us uh, <laughs> make us flush in the green on the budget. There, truly. Um, okay, let's move on to the state auditor. Let's do it. So, the Utah state auditor is an elected position in the Utah state government. The uh, auditor is the chief watchdog for the state, providing independent audits of Utah state and local governments. The auditor auditor operates independently of any executive or administrative officers in the state. Um, the position of state auditor is mandated to the Utah Constitution and has existed continuously since the state was founded in 1896. Duties include conducting performance and special purpose audits, examinations, and reviews of any entity that receives public funds. Auditing permanent, uh, auditing permanent funds, each special fund, the general fund, and the accounts of any department of state government or any independent agency or public corporation as the law requires – as the auditor determines is necessary or upon request of the governor or legislator. So basically he just goes around and makes sure there's no one's, you know, yeah. committing any fraud against the government. Qualifications pretty much the same as the uh, treasurer. You got to be 25 years old, legal voter, and uh, a resident of Utah for at least five years. Salary, again, 104000 All these guys are pulling in six figures. Yeah. Awesome. I can, I can <laughs> you know, you hit 25, you don't have to pay those expensive, like, young person renting cars yeah. and you can become an auditor. Hell yeah. So who's running for state auditor in Utah? So again, we have three choices here. Uh, the first of which is what really actually gave us the idea for this as a segment anyway. Um, and that is John Frugal Dougal is listed <laughs> on your, your ballot. And, you know, I almost spit out my drink when I read that. Uh -huh. uh, I was very confused as to why a nickname was allowed on this very official document. Yeah. So that is, a you ballot. know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like we treat it, we treat it as if it's the most holy of holy. And uh, yeah. here's this man, John Frugal Dougal. Mm. And so, uh, of course, Ben Winslow, Fox 13's Ben Winslow, beat us to the uh, beat us to the punch here. And he wrote up an article that you can check out on fox13.com. Um, and it says that a nickname is allowed as long as it is a quote-unquote widely known nickname <laughs> or something that the candidate is known by. So that's interesting. Um, <laughs> I'm really looking forward to when uh, Jordan runs for governor so that I can vote for Edward Jordan, Jordan, Jela Cruz, Dela Cruz. Uh, that should be a, a that, good time. Uh, I will run under that. Makes you think if uh, if uh, – Biden should have ran with it and just gone to Sleepy Joe. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> wow, that's all it takes is that people have to like know you by that name. Yeah, but how does how is that at all provable? 
I don't know. Yeah. It's not like John Dougal showing up to barbecues and they're like, so frugal. Yeah. My mom, <laughs> half the time my mom calls me by my little brother's name. So I'm just going to like run as Dan <laughs> Zach Lawler. <laughs> right on. Uh, the next candidate uh, that also caught my eye, <laughs> and I want to be careful here because I really don't want it to come off like I'm making fun of this man. Yeah. Um, but his name is Brian L. Fabby, um, mm-hmm. and he has one of the most um, interesting websites I've ever seen. Um, he's changed it around to improve some of the issues that were there when I looked at it last week. Like he had some text that was almost unreadable based on the background that he had chosen to put that text on. Yeah. So some Um, design issues. There are still a lot of photography issues there though. He's got some, his main photos are like him cooking some form of stew or something and his eyes are closed. Yeah. Uh, he has a, a picture of him like in a magician's outfit. Oh no. Um, And I love this from his about me section. I have over eight years of experience as an accountant for a large international corporation headquartered in Salt Lake City. But he fails to mention that that large international corporation headquartered in Salt Lake City is called the Church of Jesus Christ and Latter-day Saints, (laughs) which is which is something you could find on his LinkedIn page. Um, So, you know, I don't know if this guy just I just was laughing quite a bit when I was looking at yeah. his profile. And uh, I guess full transparency, I, I voted for him. You did? I, yeah, I voted, <laughs> I voted for Brian Fabby. This seemed like he's so. like a guy that likes dressing up like a magician and stuff yeah. like that. He's probably going to be a good auditor. He's going to be a great fair, auditor. Fair and balanced. If he can if he can balance those balance those tax dollars for the LDS church, he's probably doing a good job. Yeah. I looked uh, at his, I looked at his uh, uh, website too. And like I, I'm, I've, I've often been the kind of person that's like, Politics isn't about this weird celebrity culture thing. What's up with all the pageantry and stuff like that? That I looked at his website. I was like, well, you could use a little bit of pageantry. Yeah. <laughs> like, market yourself. We went too far the other way. Yeah. <laughs> and then the third and final candidate um, is Jeffrey Ostler. Um, and uh, his profile states that he founded the Independent American Party in 1992. And mm-hmm. I'm going to have to read this from the laptop. So uh, he ran for Utah State Treasurer based on a constitutional requirement that, quote unquote, no state shall emit bills of credit nor make anything but gold and silver a tender in payment of debts. What? <laughs> yeah. I read that sentence like 16 times and don't understand it. Like, I have no idea. And uh, let's note for the record that also on his profile is that he is an audio engineer. Hmm. Yeah, his email has like, it's like jostleraudio.gmail.com or something. Interesting. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, and I guess if we want to go down the the list, uh, John Frugal Dougal is a Republican. Um, Brian Fabby is a United Utah Party. Never particularly heard of it. Hell yeah. And uh, Jeffrey Ostler is a part of the Constitution Party. All right. So... I'd never heard of the Constitution Party, I don't think, before this year. And uh, they don't seem, they seem to have some very interesting opinions. It looks like Democrats hate audits. Yeah. Got no, got no Democrats. Well, there's We're performing no Demo- audits. There's no Democrats in the Treasurer or the audit. Um, so. Step up, Blue. Yeah. What you guys doing? You guys hate money. <laughs> um, all right. Let's move on to maybe the most important position. No, no uh, disrespect to the Auditor, Treasurer, and Attorney General. The governor of Utah. So the governor of the state of Utah is an elected constitutional officer, the head of the executive branch in the highest state of office in Utah. The governor is popularly elected every four years by a plurality and is not subject to term limits. 
Governor, the governor upholds and executes all state laws and transacts state and executive businesses. So basically, it's the president of Utah. Yeah. Essentially. Duties include adjourning the legislators when the two chambers cannot agree to do so themselves, vetoing bills, including appropriations uh, subject to two-thirds legislative override, and signing and sealing all grants and commissions made by the state of Utah. It's got to be the best part of the job. Yeah. Just like, if you got a good signature... Oh, like for sure. Throw that down on I do have documents. a good signature. Yeah. That's that would, something I'm proud of. So, having a, have a, maybe you should run for governor. You could just I sign should. everything, man. Uh, qualifications to be the governor of Utah. Uh, you got to be at least 30 years old. Damn it. <laughs> a resident of Utah for at least five years on the day of the election. That'd be funny if you were like four and then you start your election. And you're like, man, I, tr- I hit my fifth anniversary in Utah right before yeah. the election day. Um, you have to be a United States citizen and a qualified elector. Uh, of Utah at the time of the election. Fun facts, sitting governors may not hold any federal office, uh, any state office other than the governorship or be elected to the United States Senate during their terms. And there have been 17 governors in Utah since 1896. Of the 17 office holders, 11 were Republican and six were Democrats. Wow. Compensation? Can you guess? 125. 109000 per year. Wow. Yeah, so only 5000 more than the auditor, treasurer, uh, and attorney general. Yeah, all these people are getting soft money. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, who's running for governor? Well, if it's okay with you, we can just do kind of the two main ones. Yeah. If that's fine. Do I they have like a ton of, like there's, there's a, a lot. lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it also lists like the lieutenant governor with them. So yeah. it just becomes really, really muddy really quickly. Yeah, we'll talk about that. There the two is, people. just so I can count really quick. One, two, uh, three, four, five, six, seven, eight candidates yeah. for, for governor. A lot of those are write-ins, but mm-hmm. the two main ones that you've heard a lot about on this show and elsewhere are Chris Peterson and Spencer Cox. Um, you know, Chris Peterson being the Democrat and Spencer Cox being the uh, Republican nominee who is currently the lieutenant governor under Gary Herbert. Uh-huh. Um, Which is like vice president yeah, of Utah. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. Um, my main thing about these guys is that Spencer Cox is really kind of soft-spoken. Every time he, he speaks, I'm always kind of like taken aback for a quick second about like kind of how soft-spoken yeah. he is. He has a very like gentle voice. It's kind of like that Mark Rubio voice. Yeah, he's yeah. he's the type of person who like I think would earnestly say, I'm not mad, I'm disappointed, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like that's just that kind of voice. Yeah. And then Chris Peterson, um I I believe he's a University of Utah professor and he kind of talks and acts and kind of just seems like a professor. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the two. They released an ad today together. I don't know if you saw it. I, yeah, I did see this. Yeah. Um, it's making actually pretty big news. If you kind of just look it up, look up Utah governor, it'll pop up, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And the more cynical side of me, you know, thought it was kind of corny. But basically they're coming together and they're uh, trying to show that, hey, even if we disagree, we can we can come together. We can be respectful. We don't got to dislike each other. And I think that even if I do think that's kind of corny and yeah. in its execution, it's still such a wonderful idea. And, like, yeah. I got to applaud them for doing that, even yeah. if it looks so weird because there's, like, social distancing in this commercial. Yeah. So it's, like, stand together but apart. Yeah. They also kind of, like, decorated it like a Mac, like, yeah. Apple commercial. So yeah. it's just, like, a white background. Yeah. And you're, like, these two could have recorded this in separate mm-hmm. <laughs> areas in front of green screens. And they're, like, we're not on top terms but we're gonna make this commercial truly <laughs> um yeah i did see that that was that was pretty funny so everybody uh get out there fill out your ballots now you're completely informed i don't know i don't i don't we're not gonna break down any of the amendments or anything like that 
too uh, complicated. Yeah. You know, just fill it in. Just get just get it in there. Do it. Um, but no, actually, re- read through the amendments and stuff like that. Try to do some research. Um, but we're not going to spoon feed you here. All right, so we're going to move on to our final uh, segment of the show, which is more of just kind of an open discussion that I wanted to have. Um, and it's something that I've kind of felt strongly about this past week. Um, and... Um, it's something that's kind of affecting us in a big way this year and at, even at this very second as you listen to this podcast. Yeah. And that thing is the media, which the we capital are part of. M media. The media. More and more these days, I've seen people engage with the media in like really baffling ways. Mm-hmm. And I mean, obviously, it's kind of spurred by this whole election and all of the social turmoil that's come out of this year. But people aren't really, I mean, they you, the, like you use media to get information. But the way that we're using it now is to validate every bullet point of every discussion that we have with each other. And um, it seems like every discussion now these days that you have comes with like a link to an article. Yeah. It's like, we're going to talk about this. And then once you say something, you're like, no, I got to send you this article. And this this will validate my argument or validate the point that I'm trying to make. And the thing that like is really baffling to me is that most of these articles, videos, or social media posts are not only, like, misleading, but obviously fabricated. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying this to lean one way or the other because it's on both sides. Like, yeah. this is what media companies do. And I'm not speaking about any outlet specifically, but chances are any outlet that you go to has bent the truth in some way to appeal to their audience, you know? And so I just wanted to have a conversation about the media. Um, and my first question is, is, like, the Internet has kind of paved the way for – in extremely toxic and dysfunctional relationship uh, with the news media. And yeah. so like, how, how do we, how do we combat that? Like this is the state of the media and how we consume it right now. Well, I think that it's twofold. I think that the audience has to combat it themselves and mm-hmm. the organizations putting out the media have to combat it themselves. Yeah. And I do think it's important to state that media is not journalism and journalism journalism is not media. Mm-mm. Those things absolutely mesh together very well and they mm-hmm. often do, but not every media organization cares about journalistic integrity and not every journalistic integrity, like journalistic enterprise cares about like the polishedness, you know, the polish of a media enterprise. Yeah. Um, it's like the the journalist is to a mechanic what media is to a car. Yeah. Yeah. And so I just think, you know, in terms of how we we fight it is we have to really we have to really be careful with how we consume it and how we're using it and how we are implementing it in our day to day. I do think that like I sympathize with a lot of media organizations because of the kind of corner that they've been backed into by either social media or the internet or whatever, you know, like they do have to have driving headlines that, you know, get clicks Mm -hmm. because they have to satisfy their advertisers so that they can play their, pay their employees, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's all just like this rinse and repeat vicious cycle of, of like shitty headline, it mm-hmm. gets clicks or shares, yeah. you know, like a lot of that's one thing that we could do to fucking improve yeah. <laughs> is just read the article before you share yeah, it. Yeah. Because half the time it's not saying what you think it is when you share it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, I think the whole the whole point behind that, behind that strategy is that we w- people gravitate towards those 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 articles and links and they share them because it helps them feel secure in their feelings and opinions. Mm-hmm. And the media has done a really good job of targeting those types of things. What what makes us feel scared or insecure? 
and how to feed into that and essentially market it. And I've always kind of like, I'm, I'm someone who just without any context leans towards science. Mm -hmm. I like, I like facts and stuff like that. And every, you know, everyone's like, Oh, I like facts and stuff, but big fan of facts. Yeah. I'm a big fan of facts <laughs> and, and well-reviewed research, but I think there's kind of this obsession with facts. And the funny thing about facts is that there's often more than one fact to one specific issue, but people will lean on one fact for sure and, and drive that home. And it, and it, and it really narrows your kind of view of the whole issue at hand. And Rarely do I have a conversation where someone is actually just like, let's discuss this from a moral point of view mm -hmm. or just from a philosophical point of view, how people should treat each other or whatever. No, it's just like this one fact and I'm going to lean on it. Um, and the media knows that like yes. media outlets know that and they want to play on that. And I think, you know, it feels like people used to recommend books to each other, you know, it's <laughs> like, I read, th I read this book that made me think about things in this way. Yeah. But no, it's like, I have this article that proves that I'm right about this. Well, and that's kind of how it is across the entire landscape. Like this is an entire machine, both audience and, yeah. and source is, is, you know, the problem isn't one or the other. The problem is both. There's a reason that, that shows are like ESPN's first take and like, crossfire segments on CNN do well because mm -hmm. it's, it's people arguing with each other and like it's flashy yeah. and it is contentious and it makes this fire. Yeah. Whereas like good thoughtful reporting, like going with sports, like I'm a huge fan of the athletic, which is a, mm -hmm. like I have to pay a subscription fee to read that because that's like really good. No bullshit. Yeah. Like, yeah, let me write this up for you really well reporting. And that's, yeah, yeah. and that's kind of the, the issue is like, those things are constantly in a fight for their life. Uh -huh. And then when you get in a fight for your life, you have to do things that you don't really want to. And you mm -hmm. have to do those stupid, like, you know, I mean, I'm a big fan of the ringer though. They have added about 9 million years of ads to each of their podcasts mm -hmm. in the past few weeks, because you know, it's hard out there. Yeah, yeah. So, and I would actually argue that the the kind of crossfire arguing that goes on on some of those sports programs mm -hmm. is actually more substantive than what a lot of news outlets are putting out about like hard hitting issues. You yeah, know? because you know, like may, maybe they're actually coming to a kind of interesting consensus about a sports matchup or something like that. Um, and it yeah, like something like that actually has more like entertainment value and maybe more like information value when uh, an art an article about you know abortion rights is just kind of skewed one way and presents one side of the whole the whole issue at hand. The problem is kind of the performative nature of it all. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, is people like okay, here's my opinion. How can I turn it into a show? I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And <clears throat> this is all completely by design too. It's like, um. The, the goal of no, no matter what media company it is, I mean, even like the Salt Lake Tribune's lit nonprofit. Mm -hmm. I don't know how, how the mechanics of that work, but there has to be uh, still some money coming in. Yeah. Like, there's, there's an attempt to make money. And no matter what media source you're, you're getting information from, their number one goal is to make money. And the majority of the time they do that by selling advertising on their content or they have set up, you know, individual like merch shops and stuff mm -hmm. like that, or uh, they'll, they'll rely on don donations from their audience. Corporate news sites like Fox and uh, MSNBC and CNN, they sell advertising through their parent company. So all those companies are owned by bigger parent companies yeah. that deal with all that. 
And then even smaller independent outlets sell reads uh, on their content, merch, or runoff donations. But the ability to sell advertising or to sell merch or to get donations relies on keeping a stranglehold on a certain audience. And you always have to be kind of appealing to that audience to kind of hold that. And I think that's why, like, outrage drives a lot of these media outlets. There's, like... There would be nothing more detrimental to something like anything from Fox News to The Daily Show if the world was fixed tomorrow. Truly. If, if everything was fixed and all the issues were solved, all those corporate news channels would be fucked mm-hmm. <laughs> because they have nothing to get mad about anymore. Um, and that that type of content strategy does not support a productive discourse. And because discourse is hard, like to actually sit down with someone that you disagree with and talk things out to a point, not even to like solve the issue, but just to understand where each other is coming from. It's like hard and it's, and it was really uncomfortable because you have to face truths that maybe you didn't see before, but that's also growth, you know, and articles don't really play to that. Um, and so these companies are literally rewarded for like sowing dissent between their audience and the perceived enemy. Um, so this is kind of what I, I believe to be like at the heart of like why media is toxic these days. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I think that sounds about right to me. I mean, when you have people just wanting to kind of scream at other people, I don't know if it's like cathartic or if it's just like, yeah. I don't know what it is, but yeah, they absolutely are rewarded for that because, mm-hmm. you know, you're you're nine times more likely to click on something that's going to make you mad than something that's just going to genuinely inform you. Yeah, yeah. Or or you know, if like if if the the goal of a, an article is to show you a new perspective on something that you didn't agree with, then halfway through you're probably going to click out of it cuz you're like I don't, I don't agree with that. Yeah. Um so uh working in media, I worked in radio for about 10 years now and it's kind of interesting to me um, the, the kind of history between radio and print and TV. So those are like our three big media sources in America. And um, back in the earlier part of the 20th century, all of our media was made in-house. So like in our, I mean, in our local markets is what I mean. Um, so our radio signals and our TV signals didn't pick up shit from LA or New York or anything like that. I think maybe by that time we were getting newspapers from New York, but even, even that took a while. We just had, you know, maybe the Salt Lake Tribune was the only thing that we had here. Um, and then as things evolved and technology advanced, and I think kind of, you can kind of pinpoint around the eighties or late seventies is when the big syndication boom started to happen and everyone started consuming the same content all the time. And no matter where you lived, you just got the same barrage of content. You got the world nightly news and all the networks were syndicating each other's stuff. And to add to that, big media corporations were coming in and and buying signals, locally owned signals and stuff like that. And those companies still thrive here today. Um, And so today, local news and radio pretty much follow the same structure as they always have with like little innovation. And... So I want to talk about local media and I want to know if it's possible to, or talk about if it's possible to create a local media source that has a place in the community again, or are we just completely doomed to like this homogenization of content? Yeah, I think it is a bit of both. And I think that it's something that people are going to actually have to like really work for, you know? I mean, it's almost like what you were saying at the beginning of the show where like, 
you're going to have to adapt with the whole kids in school and stuff. Like, mm-hmm. it, we can't just, you know, because the internet and the, the future has made the world smaller in so many ways. Yeah. But it has kind of flattened the world in so yeah. many ways. Um, and that's how you get these kind of just, like, homogenized opinions and, like, people, like, just, like, a lot of people care a lot about of politics stuff that doesn't matter to utah mm-hmm. you know and it's like why that's interesting that you care about that i mean yeah in terms of local media being able to have a productive role in in the community i do think that's possible and i do mm-hmm. think we see it you know yeah. from time to time you know like the salt lake tribune which a lot of people i'm sure would call a liberal rag yeah um and sometimes deservedly so i've seen some oh, yeah. you know some <laughs> quite partisan stuff on there um but you know they they are the reason that the Salt Lake uh, Salt Lake Police Department is currently like investigating their their use of canine. You know, mm-hmm. like they broke stories and they make they do make differences in the community. Yeah, you know they've won a they've won a Pulitzer Prize. Yeah, so. well, and what was the what was that about again? It was the BYU sexual assault story That's right. in yep. two thousand and seventeen. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so you know, I think that it's. It's, and I don't want to like just keep saying the same thing over and over again, but it is like it's a relationship and it's something that the audience and, and the uh, source have to kind of mm-hmm. be in together, you know, because yeah. it is definitely the responsibility of Fox 13 and, and Deseret News and all of these places to put out good, responsible content. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also the responsibility of, of the audience to interact with that content in a way that is not destructive. Yeah, for sure. And I, th- I found it kind of interesting as I was like kind of prepping this segment, I did some research and I found out that the FCC used to actually have a uh, something called a fairness doctrine, uh, which required news outlets to allot an equal amount of time to both sides of the political spectrum in their programming. So you couldn't lean one way or the other heavily. And then that was done away with in 1987. And almost immediately we saw a rise in the political talk show you know, boom, like that's when political talk radio became huge is like right after that happened. And that's when we started leaning into things. And honestly, that was not like the, when you, when you read into the fairness doctrine, the people that were trying to oppose it, it was because they were like, we need, it's like a freedom of speech issue. Mm-hmm. It's like, we're, we're not allow, allowing Americans to decide for themselves. And I truly don't believe that the people opposing the fairness doctrine agreed with that. I think it was a business strategy Yeah, and they've been, everything that's going on now, it did start in traditional media, but now the FCC doesn't manage the internet. Mm-hmm. And so now it's just the wild west. I think they room. really want to. I think they really want to too. And I, and honestly, I don't know if I agree with that, but like they're there. And, and it's because we hope that we can be smart enough to kind of govern ourselves, yeah. you know, in these matters. But, um, but yeah, I don't think productive discussion is dead when it comes to like, when, when it's, encouraged by media outlets it's Mm -hmm. it's just not sexy yeah you know and i think that i mean like i can i can i could probably come up with a a reason why i don't love the kind of split down the middle thing you Mm know um but it's probably you know it's not based on opinion it's just based on time right yeah yeah you can still have your your Mm -hmm. negative opinion of richard nixon you know what i mean and honestly someone who's you know, Republican can turn it off when the liberal show comes on, you know? But yeah, I mean, what do you do, I guess? Yeah. Um, and, and, and to, to speak to that video that we mentioned earlier with Spencer Cox and Chris Peterson, uh, it was funny because I was like looking into the reactions of that and yeah, a lot of people were like, oh yeah, good for them. But there was a lot of people who were like, how could you, 
be promoting civility in a time when, you know, issue A is happening or problem B is happening. What we shouldn't be focused on civility. And like, I honestly think like, I get it. I, I, and yeah, it's corny. Mm -hmm. And anytime someone says we should all be friends and hold hands. Yeah. then Yes. People roll their eyes. It's easy to, um, but if you think the way to affect change is to look your opponent in the eye and scream in their face, like that's not going to work. And I would argue if you, if you think that's the way to go about things, think about an issue you care about and think about how long it would take for someone who disagrees with you to scream in your face before you bent to their will. Yeah. Like that's just not the way that humans work. And I just think that like in terms of human beings, we're not one track minded people. Mm -hmm. We can still care about issue a and problem B while preaching civility yeah and and i mean like i don't think there's anything wrong with being respectful to to people i guess you know yeah no no so. Res respect is 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 often respect is dope often, often appreciated on both sides and dope and dope respect is killer um so at this point you're probably thinking well holy hives media <laughs> so um so what are you guys gonna do and we this is this kind of conversation I did want to kind of end with, I mean, sort of a mission statement. Yeah. We never did like an intro. We just started the podcast. We just started talking and stuff like that. And we never really kind of went over what we plan to do with this. So, um, one, we are going to make money. Like that's the intention behind this. Like we, yes. we want to make money and we're not going to hide that fact. We're going to try to be tra transparent about how we do it, and we're going to try to take it from an approach that's not like we're going to take information and bend it to our will and then find an audience who likes that. We're just going to try to create a great product and hope people come to it because, Absolutely. again, if the world's problems are solved tomorrow, we want to still be able to talk about stuff. And if we rely on outrage, then we are not going to be able to do that. Um, so we just want to rely on local connectivity, meaning we want to make content that is interesting to you because you live here. Yes, um, and then as far as the, the kind of financials of the whole thing, we want to like support the local economy and industry, meaning when we get to the point where we start advertising, we want to advertise locally and we want to kind of create this internal economy where we're promoting businesses that you can turn off our podcast and go out and visit. Truly. Um, we don't want, we don't want manscaping. No, we don't want the erectile dysfunction or Not the, yeah, no dick pills or, or the, the zip recruiters, you zip, know, yeah, zip recruiter. We really do want to create like a sustainable <laughs> product that can kind of, mm -hmm. you know, help out the products that we love as well. Yeah. And that might come with some, challenges obviously i'm sure like manscaped has probably a lot more ad dollars to throw oh, around sure. than a lot of local businesses but we're finding ways to interact and a lot of that won't even have to do with advertising it'll just be creating content with these exactly companies and stuff exactly. like that um, and we want an open dialogue between us and our audience meaning yeah. we want all of our content to have an interactive element where you can voice your opinion and we can follow up on future pieces of content and eventually we want this to be a platform or productive discussion can be held about policy in our state. Truly. Yeah. I think that interaction and dialogue are like key to anything we mm -hmm. would want to do here. You yeah. know, like we just want to create work that matters to your day to day, you know, like the thing about Utah is that Utah lacks this kind of big city or big state or just kind of big minded yeah. presence, you know, like LA has, LA has its media stuff, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like we don't really have anything that's kind of just like Utah-based fun 
yeah interactive content that's mm-hmm. kind of what we want to do you know so like whether we're trying to interview the the guys that own the taco stand outside the abandoned sears in yeah. salt lake or if we're talking to these people that are currently trying to put on a halloween protest party you know like yeah we want it to be a discussion we don't want it to be you know firing range i guess yeah we're yeah not, we're not trying we're to an be, outrage mill exactly and yeah. i mean sure we've been mad on the show before i uh-huh. think it's impossible yeah. not to be yeah and i don't think that that means anything in terms of like we're not trying to sell you anger we're just expressing ourselves um mm-hmm. but more than anything i just i think we just kind of want to hold up a mirror for utahns to see themselves in you know yeah. a content mirror the good and the bad a funhouse yeah. mirror yeah and um I think because of the our approach to media, which, again, I think if local news was interested in innovating and, and, and taking what local news could be to the next level, I mean, a couple of local companies have kind of taken stabs at, like, podcasts and stuff like that, you know, but as a whole, kind of adjusting and pivoting and leaning towards something else. Again, like, that doesn't happen because a lot of these news outlets are owned by bigger corporations and mm-hmm. they're not really focused on that. But we think that this type of content has this opportunity to interact with its audience in a way that national content just can't. Because, you know, if you listen to a podcast and they have a live event, you can't, you're probably not going to be able to go to it unless it's in your town. Like it's going to, 90% of the time it's going to be in New York or LA and you have to travel a long ways. But we could have live events. We could um, do different kinds of streams for events going on in Utah. We can like, we literally think that our content will stick out because we're interacting with you and your neighbors, but hopefully in a, in a way that's still like professional and well-made and not just like we're running around with our cell phones or anything like that. But I think for now, essentially what I'm getting to for this moment is that because of like all, everything that's going on, we're actually going to try to take a step away from political content for at least a couple months while everything blows over. And that's kind of why we hammered out all the state election stuff today. Yeah. <laughs> we just kind of wanted to smooth it over. Um, and honestly, I, it's part of it is because I just don't, I don't want to interact with it anymore because it like the, the discussion around it is just not productive. And, um, in the giant ocean of verbal feces that is your Twitter feed. We actually think it would probably be beneficial for us if we provided this little island of wholesomeness that reminds you that, you know, we live in a great place and that however you feel about Utah, there are great people that live here. And I truly believe that. And if you don't, go fuck yourself. That's right. (laughs) Talk about toxic media. Um, So, yeah. On that note, on that note, that does it for the Holy Hive show today, and uh, we uh, so we're we're going to be dumping political content uh, today, and next week we're going to come back with a spooky episode. That's right. We're going to talk uh, horror movies. We're working on getting an interview. Uh, that's kind of a half-ass tease because we might not get it, and if we don't, we just won't put it on or mention it ever again. That's right. Um, but uh, if you if you're into all things horror movies and, and, and spooky content, uh, tune into the Holy Hive show next Wednesday and uh, we'll see you then.